Hi everyone, I'm Colby Horton. And I'm Frank Humata. And we'd like to welcome you to another episode of Engaging in the Next, an original podcast from Association Briefings where we talk about what's next for the association community when it comes to technology, Marcom strategy, people, membership, and money. So how's it going, Frank? Good, Colby. This intro might be a little outdated by the time the episode is released, but happy Halloween. <laughs> you too, Frank. Uh, I really didn't know we were dressing up for this recording. Uh, what exactly are you wearing? Um, it's pretty obvious that I'm Cookie Monster Cowboy, Colby. A what? Clearly, I'm a Cookie Monster dressed up as a cowboy. And unless you have a best costume award you want to give me, let's get on to the most important question here. What candy will you be handing out tonight? I gotta figure out if I'm driving over there or not. <laughs> well, looking at the candy bowl that's sitting right in front of me, actually, I'm surprised there's anything left. Uh, but it looks like we have some some Baby Ruths, some Snickers, um, some Nestle Crunch. Also, my neighbor's a dentist, and we promised to, to give away some Sour Patch Kids as well. <laughs> so, are, Frank, are you saying at the ripe old age of 38, you still trick-or-treat? Uh, first of all, Sour Patch Kids are an excellent choice. And secondly, <laughs> you know, maybe I enjoy getting a chance to meet or reconnect with my neighbors. I don't know why knocking on doors as an adult is seen as a thing of the past. You know, honestly, I think knocking on doors is almost a lost art right now. I mean, one of the things the pandemic taught organizations, right or wrong, is that we can easily communicate and touch base without shaking hands or grabbing a drink or simply sitting around a lunch table to have good conversation. And it's really kind of a shame. I think association members in particular really still look for that personal, authentic connection, not only with other members and industry professionals, but with the association itself. I mean, when I worked for an association many, many years ago, and we really don't need to talk about how long ago that actually was, but we had two recruiters who spent most of their time going business to business in person, shaking hands and providing the association's story to prospects. And that seems unusual today, unless you're the National Association of Wholesaler Distributors. And that's where today's guest comes from. And Frank, I'm really excited to talk to him about how NAW is on the road, making connections and creating this personal membership journey for its members. Today's guest is Dan Schuberth, Chief Revenue Officer at the National Association of Wholesale Distributors. Dan is responsible for growing the NAW community and delivering value to member companies. Prior to joining NAW, Dan spent his private sector career serving in finance, sales, physical distribution, and human resource leadership roles with McMaster Carr, one of the oldest and largest industrial supply distribution companies in the United States. Passionate about public service, Dan was elected Township Council President of his hometown of Robbinsville, New Jersey, and served on nonprofit boards focused on mental health and pediatric brain tumor research. Welcome to the podcast, Dan. Hey, thanks, Frank. Thanks, Colby. Appreciate you having me. We're excited to have you here, and we'll go ahead and jump on in. So, Dan, we all navigated through the pandemic, but NAW also had a big leadership change for the first time in 40 years during that period. <laughs> Now, can you tell us about that experience and how did it set the stage for where NAW is today? Well, look, everyone's had a different pandemic journey. You know, some organizations had steady leadership throughout. Other organizations navigated some pretty significant transitions, and we certainly fell into the latter camp. 
you know, I think we had the benefit of steady leadership in our association early in the pandemic. One of the things we did was really pivot hard to making sure that we were providing our members with the insights, the information, the strategy, the, the up-to-the-minute updates from the federal government to help them keep their folks safe and continue to operate their operations. And, and we did that with our legacy team here at NAW that had been working together for some of them the better part of 30 years. You know, once the pandemic started to wane a little bit toward the end of 2020, we had a big leadership transition with Eric Copeland coming in. And, and like any other leadership transition, you've got a new set of goals to set. Uh, you've got a new team to build. You've got members that need to know that the, the organization that they have grown to love and appreciate and rely on is not just going to continue on. It's going to get better and it's going to grow. And so at the end of the day, we had to do all that against the backdrop of a pandemic that, while it was waning, wasn't quite over yet. And so think about some of the more challenging leadership transitions and opportunities that organizations have, all with this pall of these external factors coming to get us. So it was a challenging time, but... And I'll say this, Frank, you know, this was a great opportunity for us, like many other organizations, to really dig down deep and think about the fundamentals of who we are, who we want to be, and how we want to serve our constituency coming out of the pandemic, and, and how that might look a little bit different than the way it looked coming in. And so I think the timing for us actually coming out of this thing worked to our advantage in terms of really revamping a lot of the way NAW thought about constituent service. And that's a great segue into my next question. You know, y'all decided to, to move away from the one-size-fits-all membership. You know, what went into that decision and how is membership structured now? Yeah, look, I think when you think of most trade associations in the United States, and, and just, again, a little bit of background, NAW is a little bit unique in that we represent the entire wholesale distribution industry in the United States. We've got as our members 75 other trade associations that represent subsets of the industrial and wholesale distribution space, uh, but, but we're the largest and we're the most comprehensive. And so when you think about member service, you know, think about who we are and who we're not. A lot of trade associations focus their attention on putting on one large conference or one big show for their members, uh, one size fits all. You know, maybe they've got a couple of different member engagement events throughout the year to get people together and let them to share ideas and trade best practices. For us, because we represent the whole industry and we represent companies of different sizes, different geographic locations, different product lines, you know, we need to take a much more tailored approach to meeting the needs of our members. And so what does that look like? You know, first of all, when you become a member of NAW, one of the first things we do is to understand your business intimately. It's a consultative membership experience where we understand your top of mind challenges, what your growth ambitions are. You know, we're an organization that we like to talk about accelerating the growth strategies of companies. So we want to understand if you're a $100 million company, are you looking to become a billion dollar company? And how specifically do we need to tailor our programs and services to meet your needs throughout the year? We think of it a little bit as a contract where, you know, for some members, they're really looking for insights on how to integrate technology into their operations. You know, that's why they join NAW, because they know we've got a stable of some of the best thought leaders and technologists in the industry. And that's the thing we help them focus on through very specific programs, specific connections, and specific member relationships throughout their year. Other members might say, you know what, we're getting so big that the federal government is now a huge challenge to our business. I didn't have to think about Washington at all when I was growing at the $100 million level, but now I'm a billion dollar company and I'm thinking about going public. Well, I got to think about the external environment and the regulatory environment in a fundamentally different way. And so I need NAW to be my guide and frankly, my shield in many cases to protect me from some of the things that Washington seems to like to hurl at business. And so people have different needs. We start, Frank, by understanding what those needs are, 
and then creating a really special experience based on helping them meet those needs at the end of the year. And so when we go to shake their hand after year one and renew that commitment, renew that membership, we're able to point to the value we've driven in a very hardcore ROI type approach that, that makes the, the relationship easy. And our retention rates at around 95% you know, really speak to our ability to do that effectively year over year. Yeah, I think this personalized approach that you're describing is something that we're not seeing in the association world very much. So this is great advice. I also think that what members want out of an association today is a lot different than what they wanted a decade ago, Yeah. right? And I think that some of that is probably because of the various entities that are competing with associations today. But you've kind of described it. I think that if an association is offering authenticity and value, then I think there are leagues ahead of that competition. And I think those two words, based on what you've already said, really describes NAW to a T. So what can other association execs learn from NAW's approach to this individualized, authentic relationship with members? And also the way NAW is conveying its value to both members and the industry that the organization serves. Yeah, so, so I guess a couple of ideas that come from that, Colby. One would be, I like what you said earlier about the fact that associations are changing and people's relationships, companies' relationships with associations are changing. You know, I, I think in the past, many viewed associations as social clubs. And associations, frankly, viewed themselves as social clubs, right? Relatively mm -hmm. small membership base folks that got to know each other intimately. We'd have fun conferences down in the Bahamas and you know, you get to bring your spouse and your kids and, and get some fun in the sun. And maybe you do a few educational programs here or there to round it out, or maybe you meet with a few suppliers or vendors to round it out. But, but at the end of the day, these were steam blowing off experiences you know, for people to kind of relax and get to know each other. And, and I think there's value there. Look, at the end of the day, you gotta have a little bit of fun and you gotta build meaningful relationships with people to make this feel like a community. But, but I think what we've heard from our members and where we have pivoted pretty hard is that, you know, members have tremendous constraints on their time. They've got no shortage of organizations, associations, professional societies, and other ways for them to invest their dollars outside of running their core business. And so what they're looking for in a truly meaningful association relationship is an association that's going to take the time to understand their specific business goals and demonstrate in a tangible way that they can help accelerate those business goals. Now, I'll give you a couple very specific examples. We go out and we survey our members regularly to say, tell us the top of mind challenges that you guys are facing when it comes to increasing costs in your operating budgets. And let's talk about your business, right? Let's get under the hood. And so members would tell us things like, you know, Dan, the cost of business insurance has just been going through the roof. Can you guys do something about that given your size and your scale and your ability to leverage the entire wholesale distribution industry. $7 trillion of economic activity, 6 million employees. Now, here's another one. The cost of energy. It's been stable for years. Uh, you know, fracking in Pennsylvania, funny enough, has had a huge impact on the cost of natural gas and electricity distribution. It's kept it really stable. But as inflation has creeped up, like any other segment of the economy, you've seen energy prices spike. And so now members are knocking on our door saying, can you guys do something to control the cost of electricity? We're running million square foot facilities. Many of our members have cold chain facilities that are just blowing through electricity day in, day out to keep their temperatures down at negative 10 degrees if you're, if you're distributing poultry, right? And so at the end of the day, they've come to us and they said, if you guys can help us solve these problems at scale, we can't, right? We don't have as one company the leveraging and the buying power to do that. If you can help us bring solutions to the table to help us drive down these costs, 
well, of course, I'm going to be a member of NAW. You guys have paid for my dues a few times over. And so over the past couple of years, we've been really methodical in taking those different issues one by one. And through probably a lot of hard work, oftentimes RFPs and vetting processes with a variety of different solutions providers, we've brought real solutions that have driven down costs to the table, developed great case studies within our industry. And I think it's just been just another tool in our toolkit to demonstrate the value of this particular association beyond networking and beyond what we've done in the government relations front. And so that I think that's the kind of thing today that members are really looking for. It's that direct ROI, and it's the ability to turn to their shareholders, their members, and frankly, their boards and say, NAW is a critical part of our toolkit, uh, not just a nice-to-have social club. So if we look back on the last couple of years, you know, I'm pretty sure this isn't exactly a shocking statement, but the pandemic was a huge disruptor yeah. in most industry spaces. And it definitely caused the association model to drastically change. But as we kind of talked about in our pre-show, disruption isn't always a bad thing. In fact, you might argue that you know the pandemic gave associations the ability to, to hit that reset button. Because now we have the opportunity to move forward with new ideas, new events, new programs, new innovations, things that we've talked about for years, we can now start doing. Why is it important for associations to hit that reset button from time to time? Yeah, it's interesting. So again, I don't have an association background. Uh, I came from private industry and distribution. I spent 15 years in executive leadership with McMaster Carr out of Chicago and New Jersey. It's one of the largest privately held industrial supply companies in the country. I'm the guy coming in with industry experience and little association experience. No, but I'll maybe look at it from an organizational level. Associations like companies, like nonprofits, grow complacent over time without a spark of change. And that spark of change can come through adversity. Think about the recession of 2008, 2009. That caused the financial industry to think really, really hard uh, with a little bit of government support there, uh, you know, on, on how they want to organize and how they want to offer customer service and, and financial control. You know, same with a, an organization that goes through a downsizing, goes through, uh, you know, a key supplier leaving, goes through a huge disruption, a natural disaster, right? These are things that cause you to go back to the whiteboard and say, who are we? What's our mission? And how do we organize ourselves around the achievement of that mission in a way that's going to make our customers and our key stakeholders happy at the end of the day? And so I think most associations have had to do that with the pandemic. The ones that have been successful, I think, have done a couple of things. One is they've made themselves invaluable on the issues that are top of mind to their members. And so again, think about the pandemic. If your association wasn't out there helping you tangibly navigate those challenges that were coming at you every single day, every surprise in the book that came at you, right? You couldn't get your employees over the bridge in the other state to come to work because they weren't essential mm -hmm. in that state and they were here. You couldn't get enough PPE to keep your folks working on the picking and packing lines. You had to do temperature checks at the door, but you didn't know where to get the equipment. Uh, you know, you wanted to help your folks get vaccinated, but you didn't have a local clinic that was available to do that. Or maybe you didn't have enough that was in supply near you. All these challenges were things that our members came to us and said, NAW, can you help? Can you give us up to the minute information from the CDC? Can you help work with OSHA and make sure that we're remaining compliant and you don't have regulators kicking in the door and finding us when we're trying to just keep the doors open and serve our customers? And so if your association wasn't adapting in that moment, to focus a lot of its energy on a critical issue for members. And tomorrow it might be a recession. Next, it might be global supply chain crisis uh, you know, with, with some of our electronic components coming out of China. If your association has a stake in that game and isn't providing direct value, you're missing the mark. You're just kind of working on autopilot. And I think that's kind of number two 
you get into a rhythm of events, you get into a rhythm of communications, you get into a rhythm of an annual show or a conference, and that kind of becomes the focus of your association. It's just wash, rinse, and repeat every year. And if you're not taking the opportunity to adapt to the current trends in the market, constantly check in with your members and ask them, is what we're doing helpful? Or do we need to mix it up? Do we need to switch up our content, our speakers, our forums, our, our opportunities for engagement? Then I think at the end of the day, like anything else, you kind of get bored of it. You know, and, and the last thing you want is people showing up to an association as a ritual or as just something you do, but I'm not quite sure why, because that's not stickiness. That's not community. And so I think you need, whether it be self-induced, hey, every three years, we're going to throw the current plan out the window and start with a white piece of paper, or whether it be forced by external factors like a pandemic or like a recession, every association I think needs to start with a little bit of fresh thinking on, on a periodic basis. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. We can't keep doing business the way we've always done business. And I think we hear that from the association world quite a bit. And I think the most successful ones are not the ones that are trying to bring us back to pre-pandemic conditions. It's the ones that have leaped ahead Mm. because the members, the industry, they don't necessarily want 2019, 2020 all over again. We got to move forward. And I think NAW has done a great job there. I appreciate that, Colby. Dan, every time I see you post on LinkedIn, you're, you're traveling across the country. What are you up to? And, and do you ever sleep? So uh, I do it sporadically. I'm in right now. That way I can kind of kind of react to the bat signal when it comes up. No, I, in fairness, so I'll just a little background on me. I, I didn't travel a whole lot in the corporate world, right? We had five regional distribution centers and my trips would be to Chicago or Atlanta or LA to visit some of our other facilities. When I came to NAW and when I became in charge of essentially growing our community and bringing new people in, uh, well, I said, put me in, coach. I'm excited about it. And, you know, I love to travel. I love to, number one, visit our members and our prospective members to learn about their business. You know, I became an expert in industrial supply distribution in my career, but I didn't know a whole lot about food or medicine or electronics or safety equipment. And some of the things that our members are expert in in their own individual organizations. And so for me, every time I get to visit a distributor, number one, I learn something. And so I spend probably half my time on the road. I think I've visited 20 states in the last 18 months that I've been involved with NAW. And again, every time I go in, I'm sitting down with a CEO. I'm talking about their top of mind challenges. I'm learning a little bit about their business. I'm offering some perspective on how they can be supported by NAW's programs and opportunities. The best part is I get to meet their workforce. And every CEO that I meet with loves walking me around the facility and giving me the chance to shake hands with the folks that are keeping their doors open every day. And that's probably the constant on these trips is I have just been blown away by the passion, by the enthusiasm, by just the positivity of the folks that work in the distribution industry. Everybody loves the company they're working for. Everybody's got just eyes of pride when they get to shake your hand. Oh, you're coming in from Washington. Let me tell you a little bit about Lansing building products. Yeah, let me tell you a little bit about Imperial Day. You know, I've, I've been working here for 20 years. I love it. I couldn't see myself working anywhere else. And, and, and those are the folks that work in distribution every day that get goods and services to every corner of our country. And so I, I love getting to meet those folks. I love getting to spend time with them. And that's why you see me on planes in places like Cedar Rapids, Iowa, and uh, you know, Atlanta, Georgia, and in some corners of the country, I don't think I get to visit a lot, but but Frank, it's a lot of fun. And and at the end of the day, I'm going to keep doing it. You know, I, I love what you're saying here, because I think we've all been trained maybe a little bit more than we wanted to, to connect on Zoom, connect via yeah. email. We don't have that, that face-to-face communication as much as we used to. But as you said, you're still out there shaking hands and building connections. 
Was this something that your members asked for, or is this a stance that NAW took, you know, to stay in front of its members? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And look, we, like any other association or, or like most, have pivoted to, to make use of all the tools that are available to us to connect, right? The, the goal here is connection and the creation of community. So we are on the phone, we are on Zoom calls all the time with our members, like that's an easy and quick way to connect. But, but at the end of the day, we did make a decision toward the end of the pandemic when travel really started to, to ramp up again. We said we're going to be in the field. And we actually built out a pretty big team. We've now got eight people between the folks that are out there selling memberships and the folks that are out there working with our current members and making sure we continue to meet their needs. We're traveling every single week. And for us, the meaningful connection you make sitting face-to-face -face with someone, walking around their facility, grabbing a bite to eat at the local coffee shop with them. You know, with that, we, we find those to be really meaningful and memorable experiences. Uh, people are proud to show you their facilities. They're proud to physically show you what they built and the employees that are on their teams. And, and so at the end of the day, I, you know, I love virtual conversations from an efficiency and a business perspective, but you know, I don't think anything's going to replace in-person contact. And I think our members have really appreciated the fact that we're on the road and we're meeting with them. You know, I've, I've talked to some members that said, we've been members of NAW for 10 years. This is the first time you guys have flown out to visit me. Now, this person was in a far corner of Northeast Washington State, uh, so not a, not a hub of distribution, uh, but shame on us, right? And, and, that, and that's something we've learned. It's that every member matters. Every member is going to get individualized and personalized attention for us. We're growing our organization to do that. And a lot of that's going to involve us being on the road regularly. So expect to see pictures from uh, from some exotic locations. I don't have Hawaii on my itinerary yet, but I'm, but I'm looking, <laughs> looking to find a distribution center out there to visit. But but nonetheless, it's uh, I think it's a cornerstone of the way in which we're trying to operate. We're in person. We're here to help. And we're here to shake your hand and, and look you in the eye and tell you that the NAW is working hard for you every day in Washington, D.C. Hawaii and Iowa. I think it's about the same from an exotic location. <laughs> yeah. So I think you're good. Hey, I'll say uh, Des Moines is a phenomenal city. I had a great time out there. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, Dan, you know, looking at your bio, you've accomplished quite a bit in your professional career in a very short amount of time. What advice could you give to young professionals as they strive to advance their careers? And overall, why is mentoring young professionals so important to associations? Yeah, so, so I'll say the, the thing that I love about associations, so if anyone's interested in getting involved in this this world that I've now spent a couple of years learning about. It's an interesting place that combines the idea of good business savvy and good business acumen. So some of the skills that I picked up from the private sector, also with an idea of service that, that kind of blends itself with a little bit of nonprofit thinking. And then if you're a political junkie like I am, you get to throw in a little bit of the advocacy component too. And it actually ends up being a really interesting place to work. So in my mind, associations are a great place to work if you are trying to figure out perhaps what path in the American economy is best suited to your interests and to your skill sets. And so if you're thinking about building an organization, you know, growing revenue, managing a large budget, you know, making sure that you're running a lean operation and doing a lot with scarce resources, well, this is kind of an interesting place to learn those skills and then scale them up. If you're passionate about political activism and you want to know that every single day the organization you're working for is advancing ideas and interests that are important to you, right? In our case, it's lower taxes. In our case, it is uh, is lower regulation and, and allowing businesses to run as they see fit. Uh, it's unshackling the, the power of the American economy. You know, if those things are things that, that kind of make you whistle coming to work, well, you get to show up and, and be a part of that, uh, regardless of how you're actually contributing in the business. So in my mind, associations are a great, great training ground that can lead to rewarding careers in either the public sector 
the private sector and the nonprofit sector. And, and so in my mind, my advice to anyone who's coming up is one, find an association that's got an exciting mission and, and one that kind of makes you makes you smile coming to work. Number two, lean into whatever job you've got. If you're there raising money, get on the road, talk to people and, and put your back into it. If you're there advocating for interests, learn how to do that in an effective way and communicate that with a sense of passion and a sense of, of command of those issues. And I think if, if you do well in those different roles, people are going to notice you. You're going to get great opportunities for advancement. And you're going to feel like every single day matters when you show up to work. And, and for so many young people, I feel like, uh, particularly those that end up in corporate jobs, uh, again, speaking for myself, you lose touch with why you're doing what you're doing. And I've never had that a single day in my life working for NAW. Uh, and the association world has given me a sense of purpose that I think would be inspiring for a lot of folks early in their careers as well. Wow. Great conversation, Dan. Hey, we really appreciate you being part of today's discussion, but we'd like to put you in the hot seat one last time. <laughs> All right, let's do it. You ready? We're going to head into our final segment we like to call the Briefings Minute. All right. So we're going to fire off a series of questions just to learn a little bit more about you. Give us the first answer that comes to mind. All right. You ready? Yes, sir. All right, here we go. So we've established that you travel a lot, but what's somewhere you've never been to that you want to visit? Uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Nice. So where's your go-to lunch spot in D.C., and what's the best thing on the menu? The Hamilton and the Bento Box sushi menu. Nice. Now I'm hungry. <laughs> if you could relive one day of your life, which one would it be? It would be the day that my now wife agreed to start dating me again. So we dated in high school. We broke up for seven years during college. And then when she told me that she wanted to rekindle that relationship, that was the best day of my life. I like that. Awesome. You just got brownie points, too. Yeah, <laughs> good job. We're recording this before Halloween. What's your favorite Halloween costume you've ever worn? That is a hard one. I'm a huge Halloween guy. I would say the best one is uh, Link from The Legend of Zelda, uh, with my wife being Zelda. So we, we love couples costumes. Awesome. Uh, so you went to school in Philadelphia. And I know it's always a heated debate, but who has the best cheesesteak? Oh, I'm a Geno's guy. Yep, I, I have to go Geno's. I've done Pats, I've done a bunch of others, but Geno's is my jam. Team Ishka Bibbles on my end. Uh, now, Dan, <laughs> I saw that you played football in high school. What was your most favorite moment from that experience? Oh, man. Uh, well, I was a horrible football player in high school. So, so at the end of the day, my favorite part of the experience was getting to wear the team shirt on Fridays because it made me feel important at school. <laughs> 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 As a recipient of the key to the city of Robbinsville, if that key actually opened any door in the city, what place would you want to access anytime? Dolce & Clemente's Italian Market. So world-renowned, phenomenal Italian grocery store. If they gave me the key to that thing, I'd raid it, and uh, it would be empty when customers got there the next morning. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, if you didn't work in the association world, what would your hypothetical dream job be? Uh, White House Press Secretary. Ooh, very interesting. <laughs> All right, and that's the buzzer. So thanks again for that joining us, Dan. That was easy. <laughs> balls, man. No, that, that was a lot of fun. Great. And thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Engaging in the Next. Join us each month as we discuss trends that impact what's next in the association world. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. And if you'd like more information about association briefings, and how we can help your association produce a podcast or a unique data-driven newsletter, be sure to visit us online at associationbriefings.com. See you next time.